Welcome to This Week in Linux. This week's episode is crazy, and I mean that because there's so much cool stuff to talk about, like GNOME 45 being released, all the new beta releases from Linux Mint, Ubuntu, and Fedora, plus there's some bonkers stuff happening with the Unity game engine, so we'll talk about that and how it affects Linux and open source. And that's not all. Also, after seven years of waiting, the Purism company has now finally announced a tablet to their lineup. All of this and more coming up on this episode of This Week in Linux, your source for Linux. Good news. This episode of Twill is sponsored by Linbit. More on them later. The GNOME team have announced the latest release of their GNOME desktop with GNOME 45. There are a ton of new features with this release, including a really cool workflow improvement. First of all, the highlights are a new workspace indicator, and that's more related to the activity system at the top left. Previously, it just said the word activities, and it didn't really do anything except open the overview, so it kind of worked more like a start menu slash main menu system. But now it's basically a workspace indicator, so you can quickly and easily use your mouse to switch between workspaces, and I think that is a much better use of that area rather than just the word activities. Also, another highlight is that the file manager, Nautilus, has a lot faster, just so much improvement there, and that is always great to see. Also, there's new core apps that were added to this with the uh, Image Viewer and Webcam app, and both of these apps are responsive designed, which means that they are adapted to whatever size you want to put them out on your desktop, which is just really cool to see. They've also added a new backlight control in the quick settings. They've also added a keyboard shortcut to activate quick settings, which is nice. And they've also added some new full height sidebars to a lot of applications, thanks to some improvements with LibAdWaita. Now, this is really cool because in addition to it looking good, which it totally does, it looks like a modern app system, it also makes it easy to have responsive design because the sidebars can adjust to whatever size and whatever width they need to be. So that is really cool. Also, there's a new webcam activity indicator, which just basically to identify whether or not your webcam is active. So if you have a tab open and forgot that the webcam is active, it will tell you, and that's nice. Also, there's been general app improvements like better performance and so much more. So this is a really, really good release of the GNOME desktop. I can't wait to try it out myself. But it's not all roses and sunshine, though, because this is the version of GNOME that introduces the compatibility issues that we talked about in a previous episode of Twill for the GNOME extensions. A lot of extensions have migrated to the new system, but also a lot haven't. So there is going to be an uncomfortable transitional period for a bit. But with that said, though, everything else about this new version of GNOME looks really, really good, and I can't wait to try it out myself. So if you'd like to learn more about this, you can find links in the show notes. Ubuntu have announced the beta release for Ubuntu 23.10, which is planned for the full release on October 12th. Now, there's a lot to talk about here. I'm not going to be able to cover everything, but in the future episode, when it does release, we will talk about it much more in depth. But for now, let's talk about some highlights, because there are some cool things that I want to mention for you to get excited about this release. First of all, it has the Linux 6.5 kernel for the newest hardware support and kernel functionality. It also comes with GNOME 45, which we just talked about a few seconds ago. So if you want to learn more about that, you can check out that segment. And also the Firefox Snap is coming with Wayland by default, which will be very interesting. And like we talked about in a previous episode, 
there was a removal of ZFS as a as an install option on the new and the new, new installer, but this new version of Ubuntu with twenty three point ten brings it back, so that is cool. And also the experimental TPM based full disk encryption we talked about on a previous episode, which I'll link in the show notes, is also coming in this. There's a new minimal install option, which is basically just the essentials. What's cool about that is that it's also the default. So if you want the extra stuff, you have to choose it. But if you just want the absolute basics, then that's all you got to do. Just keep the defaults. Uh, Also, Ubuntu 23.10 has improved the PPA management and security and much, much more. We will take a deeper look at Ubuntu 23.10 once the official release is out. And be sure to subscribe to Destination Linux to get my full review when it comes out for Ubuntu 23.10. But for now, to learn more, links in the show notes. The Fedora team have announced the beta release for Fedora Linux 39, which is planned for full release in October. So we're gonna talk about some highlights and those would be Linux 6.5 kernel series, GNOME 45 desktop like we talked about a few minutes ago. So check that segment for more details. And of course, all of the spins will be getting updates to their respective desktops like KDE Plasma, LXQt, Budgie, and the rest. Fedora Linux 39 will not feature the DNF5 package manager to provide users faster package management, unfortunately, nor the Anaconda web UI installer. Both features were promised for this particular release, but it looks like they needed some more time and testing to do that. So they're going to delay it for a future release. We don't know exactly when, but we it is expected to be Fedora Linux 40. And that is unfortunate, but I expect this release to still be a solid user experience, and I look forward to upgrading to it very soon. We will take a deeper look at Fedora 39 once the official release is out. And be sure to subscribe to Destination Linux to get my full review on it when it comes out. For now, if you'd like to learn more, links in the show notes. This episode of Twill is brought to you by Linbit. Linbit has been keeping digital businesses running for over 20 years. They're the makers of open source products like DRBD, which is high availability software that has been part of the Linux kernel since 2010 and LinStore, industry-leading open-source software-defined storage. LinBit has an active presence in the open-source community as well because they collaborate with the community to help identify and build new features to their products. LinBit provides enterprise-grade software that runs on a variety of platforms without vendor lock-in, which is really cool because no matter what your OS is and no matter what kind of hardware you want to use, including off-the-shelf hardware, you're good to go with DRBD and LinStore. And also with DRBD and LinStore, you can have high-speed replicated block storage in almost any configuration, whether it's Kubernetes, Apache Cloud, or Open Nebula. There's even DRBD proxy for long-distance replication. LinBit provides really awesome services like DRBD, and DRBD is a really good way to make sure you have good data recovery and backups. And if you ever have like a cluster with multiple nodes and one of those nodes fails, you can have rest assurance that the backup nodes will have the data that you want. So if you're interested in checking out any of the software from LinBit, I highly recommend it. So go to linbit.com to check it out. That's L-I-N-B-I-T.com. The Linux Mint team have announced the beta release for the sixth edition of their Debian, well, specifically Debian-based. Technically, the Ubuntu version is based on Debian, so it's also kind of Debian-based, but we're talking about the Debian edition of Linux Mint, which is the LMDE, and this is the sixth version of that. This is going to be powered by Debian 12. They're currently in beta right now, so remember, if you do to download this, it is not in the final release. But it's very similar to Linux Mint 21.2. It has Cinnamon 5.8. It has the new touchpad gesture support, resizable Mint menu, redesigned software manager, and much, much more. 
So if you want to check it out, then you can check out the links in the show notes, but we will go into a deeper look at LMDE6 once the official release is out. For more information right now, you can check the links in the show notes. Purism is back in the news this week with a new product that they've added to their lineup, which is a new 11-inch tablet. We're going to talk about the history of a Purism tablet later on, but first let's talk about the specs. And as you can hear from my tone, I'm not super excited about this product. So let's first talk about the specs. This is an 11.5-inch AMOLED screen with an Intel N5100 CPU. It has 8 gigabytes of RAM and 1 terabyte of NVMe storage. And it comes in at a really high price of $999. It's high in my opinion. But also, let's compare it to other tablets in the space. And you might be thinking, other Linux tablets? That's right, there's two other Linux tablets you can get instead of this. And they're both more appealing, in my opinion. So, let's first talk about the Juno tablet, which is the same CPU as the one that you get in Purism. It's an 11 inch instead of 11.5 inch, but it comes with 12 gigs of RAM instead of eight, and you're gonna save about $300. Plus you get a keyboard built in with it, and that's, but it also has Bluetooth. For some reason, the Purism announcements and marketing are talking about how it's so good that the keyboard doesn't have a battery to worry about because you have to plug it into the tablet. And then I'm thinking, well, that means that I have to plug it into the tablet and I can't use it as a keyboard separately, which is one of the cool things about having a keyboard with a tablet. Otherwise, I'm stuck to it just like a laptop would. So, okay, I guess that's somehow good. Now let's move on to the next tablet, and that is the Starlight from Star Labs. This is a 12.5-inch screen tablet. It's an Intel N200, which is better, and it has 16 gigs of RAM, which is double the Purism tablet, and it comes in at 512 gigs of storage by default, but for an additional $64, you can get the same one terabyte that comes in the Purism tablet. And you might be wondering, well, how much money is that going to be having to upgrade the storage? It's still going to be $300 cheaper than the starting price of the Purism tablet. Oh, Purism. Okay. So this is the first time that the tablet has been on the lineup for Purism. But it's not the first time they've tried to do this. In 2016, they created an Indiegogo campaign that ultimately failed. But the reason why I wanted to talk about it and... Most of the time, talking about a campaign of crowdfunding for a company that happened over seven years ago is not really noteworthy. But in this case, it kind of is interesting because Purism decided to do it as a flexible goal in Indiegogo, which means, for those who don't know, if a campaign fails, which it did, then they would still receive the funding. And there were claims by Purism people that some people got refunds and other people chose to let them keep the money. We don't know how much, we don't know how many, but it says 55 backers funded $51,000 for this campaign, and I'm just super curious if any of those backers received a tablet from this new lineup. So, I've covered Purism on this show many times before, and originally it was a positive coverage because I was hopeful that they would do what they set out to do. But there have been many reports of them not giving refunds to customers who've waited years for products, making outlandish claims in their marketing, in my opinion anyway, and charging absurd amounts of money for products that barely qualify as mid-tier. I mean, this case, this product is inferior 
in my opinion, to other options, and those other options are drastically cheaper. It, and also, when you we can't even talk about the phone here because that's just uh, just hilarious. The cost of that phone and the hardware that comes in that phone is so outlandishly different from the actual industry standard. It's not even mid-tier at this point. So anyway, it makes me wonder how this company still exists. And you might be wondering, why are you talking about this company if you clearly do not like this and you do not want to talk about it? I, you're right, I don't want to talk about it. But it's because I saw a video that promoted they promoted themselves recently about being featured in a CNBC documentary. That's all fine and good. It's great that you're featured in documentaries. But in that documentary, they claim to be a multi-million dollar company. And it makes me wonder, why is it so hard to get refunds then? I personally know people who paid money to Purism who did receive refunds. It took a while, but they did. And I also know some who are still waiting. Purism... It's just, it, you're just kind of disappointing. I know you're trying to be good for the ecosystem, for the community, but it's not working. You, in, you are in need of hiring someone to write the ship. Please get them in charge so that we can get this company back on track because it's a very bad sign when people want to root for a company and that company continues to make it hard to root for them. That's just my opinion. That's how it is. Let me know what you think in the comments. And... Um, yeah, links in the show notes. Let's talk about the photo manipulation application, Photopea, because they are celebrating their 10th anniversary of this app. So developer Ivan Kutzker developed this on his own for the most part. I'm not sure if it's completely still on his own, but for the first few years, it was definitely on his own. And it has been a fantastic tool for me to use. For those that don't know, Photopea is a graphics manipulation program, kind of like Photoshop and much better than GIMP but it is ad supported for those who don't want to pay for the premium account. But if you want the premium, it only costs $50 per year. That's right, just $50 per year. And I have used this for years and I am happy to be a premium customer because every time I would want to go into Photoshop to do some stuff, it always made me feel weird because as a Linux user, I would have to load up a virtual machine of Windows to use Photoshop for many years as a Linux user. Then Photopea came out, and then it got better and better and better, and it's the point now where I use Photopea exclusively at this. I haven't even opened Photoshop in I don't know how many years. It's been a while, and that is awesome. And the only thing I had to up open Photoshop for in the past couple of years or past few years, whenever it was, was CMYK support. And that has been added to Photopea since then, so I don't even have to do that anymore. So I just wanted to say... Thanks, uh, Ivan, for making this because it's it's a great tool and I appreciate it very much. And if you'd like to try it out, you'll find links in the show notes. Get over here is what I said to Mortal Kombat 1 from NetherRealm Studios about having support on the Linux platform. <laughs> and why am I talking about this game? Well, it does have support. It is Steam Deck verified by Valve, which is awesome. And if you want to support the show, you can use the links in the show notes to order the game on Humble Bundle or Fanatical, as those are affiliate links. And I would greatly appreciate it if you were to use those links in the show notes. For those who are not familiar with Mortal Kombat, it is a game that has been around for a very long time. The fact that they're calling it Mortal Kombat 1 is confusing. I'm not sure why that is. 
but it was the last version was 11, I think. So they're resetting, restarting the whole multiverse of Mortal Kombat. I'm not sure what the story is there, but it's very cool. And the fact that it works on Linux because of Steam Deck, I'm just super happy about that. And if you'd like to check it out, again, affiliate links are in the show notes. Speaking of Mortal Kombat, the Unity game engine has seemingly self-inflicted a fatality due to a change they announced for their runtime policies. The changes were that the game developers were having to pay a fee of 20 cents for every game install after the 200,000th install over the lifetime of the game and $200,000 a year in revenue. This change would be retroactive as well for games already released. It was a plan that left devs both scratching their heads in disbelief and also just enraged. The backlash to this was immediate and intense. The indie devs announced that there would be pulling games, there'd be swapping to a new engine, often Godot, and just so much backlash on this. Uh, John Riccatello, Unity's CEO, was put back into the spotlight after the lights dimmed somewhat from him when he was, you know, as some reports are saying, ruining EA games. So he's back to ruining some game companies, as said by these reports. Unsurprisingly, Unity's stock price plunged. And after the fallout, Unity has now since announced changes to their plan, which is likely too late for many developers, but ultimately not too bad in comparison to the really terrible idea they had before. Their new plan will keep Unity personal free, and there's no runtime fee for games made with it. The revenue cap there is also moving up to 200000 and they're removing the requirement to show the Made with Unity splash screen for those. Additionally, no game earnings less than $1 million in a 12-month period will be subject to the runtime fee. For developers on Unity Pro and Enterprise, the runtime fee will now only apply with the next LTS version of Unity shipping in 2024. So existing games and games with older versions of Unity will not be included. For games that are subject to their new runtime fee, they will offer a choice of either 2.5% revenue share or the calculated amount based on the number of new people engaging with your game each month. And those numbers will be self-reported by developers and they will always be billed the lesser amount. Always, I gave emphasis there because they did change their policy recently and there's no guarantee they won't again. And there's no guarantee it won't be a terrible change again because this was this was not good for many people. It was some awesome news though for Godot Game Engine because many developers announced they were porting to, to Godot and Godot has also received multiple donations from game developers since this news happened. And I think that's great to see. For those that don't know, Godot is an open source game engine and seeing it benefit from this massive business blunder that by Unity is a silver lining in my opinion. If you'd like to learn more about all of this, I'll have a lot of links in the show notes. Thanks for watching this episode of This Week in Linux. If you like what I do here on this show and want to be kept up to date with what's going on in the Linux and open source world, then be sure to subscribe. And of course, remember to like that smash button. And if you like to support the show and the Tux Digital Network, then consider becoming a patron by going to tuxdigital.com slash membership, where you can get a bunch of cool perks like access to the patron-only sections of our Discord server and so much more. 
You can also support the show by ordering the Linux of Our t-shirt or the This Week in Linux shirt at tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, while you're there, check out all the other cool stuff we have like hats, mugs, hoodies, stickers, coasters, and just so much more at tuxdigital.com slash store. I'll see you next time for another episode of Your Source for Linux GNU's. Thanks again for watching. I'm Michael Tunnell, and I hope you're doing swell. Be sure to ring the notification bell, and until next time, I bid you farewell.